Father, again, we thank you so much for the privilege, yes, the privilege, to be in your presence today, to hear your word, to hear you speak to our very soul. Lord God, we pray again that you enlighten and encourage, Lord God, that is a revelation of yourself, to the point, Lord God, that we are encouraged to move forward with everything that you're speaking to us. Again, Father, we are your servants, we are your children, and as your children, Lord God, you require us to walk in Help us to reflect your light and your glory in this world. Lead us and guide us. It is such a blessing to be able to worship, hear the word of God, and have fellowship with his people tell you these are the moments now, even when you're a little tired they make you feel rejuvenated and encouraged ready to press on for another day Can you say amen during these times of worship time that we spend in discipleship classes we are built up in our knowledge built up in our knowledge of the Lord concerning His will for our lives. And then we leave the church again with this great sense of blessed be the name of the Lord most high. But here is the question. Here is the thing that we must ponder. When does any of that ever translate into the Lord sending us out on mission? So we come into God's house and we worship Him and we give Him praise and we gather in His Word like we are sponges soaking it all in. But then God wants to know, when does it ever translate from soaking to being sent? I, I say this out of being fascinated with the fact that Jesus sent his disciples forward after they had only been with him for years. So. Fascinated because I want to know exactly how much did they know. How much had they learned in that period of time that Jesus was willing to trust them. Such a grand mission. I wonder if they really knew enough to forejoin in the name of Jesus Christ. Did they, did they really know enough? Would they embarrass Jesus because they moved out on these half-cock ideas thinking, uh, no, this is what Jesus said. No, Jesus said this. No, don't you know, boy, he said this. Hear it now. Again, however, I think of you and me. And I ponder the length of time it takes finally, to finally sprout wings and fly out on mission for the Lord. What is it? One, year, two, three, six, seven years, more? How many years? 
But you know how the story goes. That sometimes we are afraid to say yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. Because we always think the most extreme. We always think that if I say yes to the Lord, that he's going to send me to Africa. Lord knows I don't want to go to Africa or the Lord's going to send me to Afghanistan or Uzbekistan, Pakistan, or any stand in between. But we also know that this is true, that he can't send us there. Remember Raven? God sent her from here to India. Well, not just for an overnight stay. But that may not be your particular calling. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 7, please. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick. Mark says it healed so as you know from last week's message, this section picks up. It actually picks up from the second half of verse 6 in the same chapter. Where we saw that Jesus was rejected by his people in Nazareth. But he went on to proclaim this message. So even though his message was rejected in Nazareth as a whole, there was such a demand for his ministry, he needed to empower others to spread his message everywhere. What do you do when everybody is clamoring for the very words that you have? I pray, Lord, let everybody clamor for your word that you have put inside of us. How did Jesus prepare the disciples for ministry? How does he prepare you and me? Now don't be mistaken that uh, the only ministry that Jesus speaks of is, is that in which you only dedicate your entire life to ministry, like myself. God may not call you to be a sole minister. That's what you do for all of your life. Don't be mistaken. God could be preparing you right where you are. He could be preparing and have already prepared you for ministry right in the cubicle where you have sat for the last few months or the last few years. Well, if Jesus prepares us for ministry, how does he do it? 
Number one, Jesus can prepare us for ministry by sending us with a partner. Here in verse 7 in chapter 6 of Mark, it says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. So Jesus called a few uh, in this specialized ministry. But notice that uh, the original number of people who went out to minister was not an entire column of soldiers. No, it was not 20 people. It was not 40. It was not 100, not 500, not 1,000. He sent them out two by two. But how many does Mark mention here? How many? Let's try it again. Let's try it one more time. Maybe you thought that was a rhetorical question. And it wasn't. How many people did Jesus send out to the ministry? Nothing but 12. Nothing but 12. This should be both convicting and enabling. And that it only takes a few obedient people sold out for Jesus Christ to change the world. So the intimacy of relationship with the 12 is encouraging because we must not worry about trying to trying to impact uh, uh, one million people in the city of Chicago. All we have to worry about is just a few that God has placed in our path. Jesus calling, sending out this twelve is also reminiscent of Moses calling and sending out the twelve spies in Cana. Remember that in, in Numbers chapter thirteen. In that case, the 12 spies understood that God was giving them uh, the land that God had already given that to them. And all they had to do was bring back a report. Their reports as called men were never intended to supersede the promise of God. When God sends us out, uh, God doesn't want us to come back and say, well, I just can't do that because this, that, and the other, and there's no way I can do that. No, that's not what God, uh, God has said. When God calls us, obviously he's calling us because he wants to call another person. Did you know that? So when we are apprehensive about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people, you are stopping the flow of God's kingdom to this world. Yes, you and I, when God calls us where we are, if we do not obey, we are stopping God's flow and what he wants to do in this world. Twelve disciples, on the other hand, had a different mandate, yet they were called to enter into an area they had never gone before, much like the spies there in the land of Canaan. Jesus' plan was to take not the land, but he wanted to take the hearts and the minds of people who were trapped in the place that they could not get out. Bottom line, as you know, is always most helpful when you can do something with a partner. When you have a friend who can go with you, it always makes things a little bit easier, doesn't it? And of course, one of the things we know from this gospel is that uh, people who have gone out in twos had built relationship over a period of time. They had spent time together in close quarters. Yet we know that we don't always have that option. We don't have that option of spending close time with people before God sends us out, but it is certainly helpful. Have you ever wondered why the Lord would have you spend a great time 
a deal of, deal of time with people in, in discipleship class. Spending a great deal of time with people in church. Do we not realize that it is possible that God is doing something extraordinary in your life? That's right. Take a look. Look all around you when you come to church or when you do things in the name of Jesus Christ. God could be calling someone else with you. Same is true if you happen to be married and you have a spouse. One of the things I always tell folks that if, if your spouse is not on the same page that you're on, then there's something wrong. Because if God has called you to the ministry, surely your spouse knows as well. So your very first partner in ministry, it should be who? It should be your spouse. If nothing else, they should say, I see it. Go in God's grace. Do what God has told you to do. In some cases, it makes sense that married couples that they minister together. It's a good thing. If they are not aligned concerning one another ministry, then it can be a huge problem. On the other hand, if they both know that the Lord has called them as a couple, then ministry has just become easier. What does Ecclesiastes 4.12 say? Ecclesiastes. Kohelet. What does he say? Solomon says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And he says, a threefold cord is not quickly or easily broken. So the more people God calls together, the greater the strength. In fact, we see this biblical principle at work in cults that walk around the streets all the time, uh, ringing our doorbells, asking us questions. And you see that there's problems in the world that always come in twos. Do you not realize that even though uh, they have a very disturbed gospel but do you not realize that they are operating according to a biblical principle so you cannot be saved and still operate according to a biblical principle and somehow uh, things seem to multiply because it is the principle that, they, that God has put out in Acts chapter 3 verse 1 we see Peter and John ministering together in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, we see Barnabas and Saul go and minister together. Then ultimately, we see Barnabas and John, Mark, and then we see Paul, and then we also see Silas together. Consider for a moment who God has called to sin with you in your ministry. Consider for a moment. Think about it. And if you're single, don't worry about it. Remember, Paul was single. God did wondrous things through him. He does wondrous things to you as a single, so don't feel guilty or don't feel compelled to get married if you are single. Because if we had a life like Paul that was sold out for Jesus Christ, come on, look at what Paul did. It's truly a wonderful thing to have another person that God may call with you in ministry. So the next, how does he prepare us for ministry? He gives us authority here in Mark chapter 6 verse 7 again and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. 
There will undoubtedly be resistance as you go, but the Lord has paid the way by giving you authority. Now, it's very interesting that the text does not say that he gave them authority over people. Did you notice that? Uh, what did God give them authority over? He gave him them authority over what? Unclean. There it is. But that was not their only reason for being sent out in the world to ministry. Remember, having authority over demons was, was just a sign to open the door for the gospel. Right? So, so a ministry that all you do, the name of your ministry is a deliverance ministry, and all you do is deliver folks, and you never bring up the gospel, then there's something wrong. You see, any type of deliverance ministry uh, should be nothing but an open door in order to get folks saved, to get them to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus does not always seem to give that same authority today, but it is still definitely possible, and it does happen. So even though it appears that uh, that was the reason they went out, that was not the main re reason that they ministered. There is an authority that you possess, which God has given you. The question is, when will you finally come into the realization that God has given you this authority? When will you be bold enough to walk in a place with the gospel of Jesus Christ that you are no longer afraid and you know who you are and you know where you stand in Jesus Christ? God has given you that authority, young and old. No reason to be afraid because the door that God opens, no man can close. So he also does this prepares us for ministry by this very thing, by insisting that we have dependence upon Him. God insists that we have dependence upon Him. Mark 6, verses 8 and 9. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread. Come on, Jesus, let me at least have a snack pack. No bread, no bag. No money in their belt? I mean, imagine today, at least today, we can say that, okay, God told me to go out with nothing. You say, said, well, if I, at least I can go in front of McDonald's, I can ask somebody to buy me an order of fries, right? I can take a couple of steps and I can be at Burger King. I can take a couple of steps and I can be at Taco Bell or anywhere. It's just all over the place. But when you lived in those ancient times, you can go for 50 and 60 miles and see nothing. So Jesus, why would you tell your disciples to don't take anything for the journey, not even bread? There's no 7-Eleven around. In fact, he, he charged them. Jesus, he commanded them. They were stripped of everything except for the bare necessities. We're so significant about a, a, a staff. What's the big deal about that? Sandals and tunic. Why was it even necessary to mention them in the first place? Well, number one, these things were not significant within themselves. But the urgency of the call was so intense that there was no time to pack and be concerned about one's personal preparedness for the mission. You hear what I'm saying? 
that when Jesus calls, he says, get up and go. What you waiting on? What you waiting on? Are, are you waiting on me to throw a million dollars out of the sky before you go? <laughs> and I've shared this with you time and time again, but I, I, I just consider the fact that when my family and I, when we went to Texas, you know, people were asking me, what are you going to do? Where are you going to work? All I can say is, I don't know. God called. And then when we get down there and I'm walking across the stage ready to receive my diploma and I get my diploma in my hand and, and, and my friends were asking me, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. I'm just trusting God. And all I could do was pray. God was absolutely faithful. But remember this. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 61. Luke 9, 61. Another person told Jesus this. He says, okay, I get it. I'm going to follow you. I will follow you, Lord. Yes. Right? He says, I say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. When the Spirit speaks to me, this person says, he says, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, uh-uh. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying that when he calls us, the time is now, not later. For most of us, he's saying, you've already been prepared right now. You're just being a slacker. Right now, you're just being a slacker, and you're giving me excuses why you have not stepped out into ministry. Well, the second thing is that the very call of God requires your faith, a dependence on him to live, not just to talk in a way indicating your full trust. Again, we've heard this before. Don't just talk to talk, but uh, don't just talk to talk, but walk the walk as well. Don't tell folks that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not doing anything about it. Don't use this whole idea that, you know, brothers and sisters, I'm your brothers and sister in the Lord as well. So can you give me, give me, give me, give me, give me? I'm this, I'm that. But surely you will not deny your brother and sister in the faith. Well, what are you doing for the Lord? Well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just being a slacker for the Lord. Well, how do you share your faith? Well, I don't share my faith. But can you give me, give me, give me? No one wants to do anything. Not no one. Someone uh, doesn't want to do anything for the faith, but yet they want the body of Christ to give them all the time. Gotta listen to what I'm saying. God is calling you, He's calling me to a true place of total dependence upon the Lord. So the important thing to know is that the Lord provides for those He calls, the Lord provides for those He sends. And the Lord provides for those he equips. 1 Timothy 5.18. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18.
For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Another way of saying this is that the workman deserves the money that he worked for. Right? Amen? Can you say amen? But the other point is that God, he does work in the hearts and minds of other people to support those who go out on his mission. Did you hear what I said? That God, he does. So if God has not called you to go to India, amen. If God has not called you to go to Ghana, amen. If he has not called you to go to Moscow or hasn't called you to go to Brazil, hasn't called you to go to Hawaii, right? I know you said, hey, if the Lord calls me to go to Hawaii, I say yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. But don't be mistaken because the devil makes his way down in Hawaii as well. I'm going to tell you, I, I know a brother right now and uh, who was in one of those really, really nice, exotic places for ministry. And, uh, and, and for him, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. So God, he works in the hearts of other people. The problem is, is that, again, I say that oftentimes we are so, so stuck on ourselves, right? We're so stuck on ourselves that we can't hear the Lord speaking to our hearts when he calls us to minister to other people. You hear what I'm saying? That God, he calls us to minister to other people. But you see, uh, we have this mindset that we'll say, yes, Lord, I'll serve in your church. We'll say, yes, Lord. You know, I will do, I'll clean the floor. Yes, Lord, I will teach my kids the word of God. I will get my kids to church. Lord, you want me to repent of my sins? Yes, Lord, I will repent of my sins. You want me to minister at work? Yes, Lord, I'll minister at work. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want you to take $500 and I want you to give it to this person over here. Well, Lord, I'm not sure if that's you. Well, Lord, I'm not, I'm not really sure if I'm discerning the voice of the Lord right there. Because I think that God wouldn't come to me, then all of a sudden it becomes an excuse. But see, Scripture says, Paul says what? He says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So when we do not support those who are in ministry that God has sent forth, guess what? You are muzzling the ox that's providing the grain for you. There it is. There it is. You are muzzling the ox. So I know that sometimes we read and hear sermons and messages about the call of ministry. But understand again that the call of ministry is multifaceted. Not only must there be someone to go out, but there must be someone that makes sure it happens. Come on now, we, uh, in this uh, presidential candidate season, and these folks are roaming the country back and forth. And you already know, uh, even uh, with as, as much money as they have, 
the vast majority of them still do not possess the wealth to support their campaign. The fact, I mean, there, there may be one, but the vast majority, even within their wealth, that they don't have the type of money to support the type of campaigning that they're doing, just dropping millions and millions and millions of dollars in a day. But for the average person, wealthy or not, who believes in what they're doing, they buy into that vision. When people say, that's my candidate, what do they do? They support them. They support their travel, lodge. Look at Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Very important. Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, servant of the church at Kikrin, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. Paul says, for she has been a patron, patron of many and of myself as well. So in other words, Paul was saying, so for, for, for Phoebe, she was supporting the other saints in the ministry. So if you're concerned about how am I going to make it if God calls me out into the ministry, understand that if God calls, God will provide for you. Amen? Next, how does he prepare us? He encourages faithfulness to his provision. He encourages faithfulness to his provision. Back in Mark chapter 6, verse 10. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. When God blesses you, don't go looking for something else as if you haven't been blessed. When God finally blesses you, don't go looking for something else as if you have not been blessed in the first place. Jesus tells them that whenever they enter a house, they're supposed to stay there until they depart. This could be the very place where they could get their provisions and be receptive. Uh, the folks of that area would be receptive to that message. That would be their home base as they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's very easy for us. It's very easy for us to forget that God has provided for us. It's very easy. Because once we get one place, the thing we say is that the green grass is greener on the other side. And then we go running again. And then we get there, we say the grass is greener on that side. And we're running here and there. We must not forget that the Lord has provided for us. Amen. Next, he instructs us to move on from those who are indifferent. Verse 11, and if in any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. There are times when we must move on. We cannot spend all of our time with people who have no interest in knowing Jesus Christ. I just read uh, two days ago, Friday, there's a survey recently, they took a survey in, in the UK, United Kingdom, 3,014 people ages 18 years and above. And he asked the question, do you have a desire to know Jesus Christ? 
60% of them. 60% said, no, uh, I don't want to hear any of that. Whereas 49% of them said they were not even open to the message. Some might stand there for a hot second, and others said, you know what, I'm not even approachable. Don't even approach me with the message of the gospel. So if you have the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and folks say, I ain't even trying to give you the hand, and say, I ain't even trying to hear that, then you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. Most of the time you will know when it's ready to move on, especially if you are directed by the Spirit of God. Don't feel bad. Don't feel disappointed in yourself because the hearts of some people are just hard and indifferent towards the Lord our Savior. Next, he commands us to preach his message. Verse 12 back in Mark 6. So they went out and proclaimed that people should do what? Should repent. Amen. Verse 13. He directs us to help those who struggle. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Again, sometimes we do forget to help others. In our minds, it always seems to be the next person's responsibility and not ours. The Lord may not have given you the ability to heal, but he has given you the ability to love. Your love, which is stronger than we can possibly imagine, that it goes a long way. Yet love, it should translate into action. Love should translate into action. What is that action? Well, for everybody, it's different. For me, it's what I'm doing now, plus a vast array of other things. For you, it's different. But only you can minister to certain people because of who you are. I could not step into your job and begin to minister because a person like me would probably get you fired. I, I'll tell you right now, right? A person like me, if you invite a person like me to your job to minister to your friends, more than likely you're gonna be without a job when I walk away. Only you have the discernment and connection to speak to your neighbors, your coworkers fellow students and friends. Only you, this is why Jesus has called you to minister where you are. Well, Amy Sherman calls this our vocational stewardship. This is how she defines it. She says, it is the intentional and strategic deployment of our vocational power, knowledge platform, networks, position, influence, skills, and reputation to advance foretastes of God's The disciple of Jesus is not just learning about him so we can have more knowledge. Amen. A disciple also means we must be actively involved in his ministry as well. There is no other way of putting it, brothers and sisters. Ministry involves means involvement. While your actions do not and will not save you, they definitely indicate whether or not you're walking in obedience. This is an issue we must explore again and again. We must continue to talk about because sometimes we just don't get it. Hear it, but we just don't get it. We just can't seem to get through, get it through our heads that the Lord of the universe 
has expectations of his children. Anything short of walking in a way that honors him stifles our discipleship, our growth and maturity in the faith. Unless there are some extenuating circumstances, most believers who are not fully engaged in ministry are often stunted in their spiritual growth. So if you're not fully engaged in ministry, you may be stunted in your spiritual growth. And finally, I tell you this. Growth is not either or choice. God has called you all. He's called me. Growth. And if God has called you, if God has called me to grow, He's also called us to grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You have called us to 